So I'm going to go ahead and read our passage for today, uh, Micah chapter 6, and then we will get into it. Micah chapter 6, the whole chapter, so y'all be patient with me here, okay? Now listen to what the Lord is saying. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your complaint. Listen to, what the Lord's, listen to the Lord's lawsuit, you, you mountains and enduring foundations of the earth, because the Lord has a case against his people. He will argue it against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Testify against me. Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from that place of slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, Miriam ahead of you. My people, remember what Balak of uh, Moab proposed, what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from the acacia grove to Gilgal so that you may acknowledge the Lord's righteous acts. What should I bring before the Lord when I come to bow before God on high? Should I come before him with burnt offerings, with year-old calves? Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with 10,000 streams of oil? Should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the offspring of my body for my own sin? Mankind, he has told each of you what is good. And what is it that the Lord requires of you? To act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. The voice of the Lord calls out to the city, and it is wise to fear your name. Pay attention to the rod and the one who ordained it. And there still the, are there still the treasures of wickedness and the accursed short measure in the house of the wicked? Can I excuse wicked scales and, or bags of deceptive weights? For the wealthy of the city are full of violence, and its residents speak lies. The tongues in their mouths are deceitful. As a result, I have begun to strike you severely, bringing desolation because of your sins. You will eat but not be satisfied, for there will be hunger within you. What you acquire you cannot save, and what you do save I will give to the sword. What you, you sow but you will not reap. You will press olives but you will not anoint yourself with oil. You will tread grapes, but not drink the wine. The statutes of Omri and all the practices of Ahab's house have been observed. You followed their policies. Therefore, I will make you a desolate place and the city's residents an object of contempt, and you will bear the scorn of my people. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we acknowledge and believe uh, that you are here with us, that your presence is our good, Lord, and that the Bible is the word of God, and that when the Bible is read, preached, Lord, that we hear your voice. And Lord, we don't want to take that lightly. We ask that you would forgive us of all of our sins, you purify our hearts even now, you would help us to have receptive hearts, not critical hearts. Lord, but uh, hearts that want to trust and believe uh, your word and obey all that you say to us, Lord. I pray that you would use this word to make us more like Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. So we are currently in a series called Future Now, and we have been working verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of Micah. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the book of Micah, it comes in the first part of the Bible, it has seven chapters. Those seven chapters are broken down into three sections, okay? 
and, uh, or like three messages, three sermons that he gave. And each of those sections begins with the call to listen up. Micah says, all right, now listen. Okay, so that's, we're in the third section. I'll show you here uh, this in Micah 6, 1 and 2. Look what it says. Now listen to what the Lord is saying. See that? Micah chapter 1 begins like that. Micah chapter 3 begins like that. And now Micah 6. Listen to what the Lord is saying. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your complaint. Listen to the Lord's lawsuit, you mountains and enduring foundations of the earth, because the Lord has a case against his people, and he will argue it against Israel. So God is saying to us, listen to what I'm saying to you. I want to invite you into a courtroom. And the Lord is laying out a lawsuit against, he is prosecuting. And his prosecution is directed against empty religion. So I want us to notice a couple things here. The first is that religion is everywhere. Religion is everywhere. Now I want to ask you, how, how would you guys spot religion? Like how would you know if you saw religion or not? Think about it. Because I really want us to broaden our definition uh, here a little bit, or maybe zoom our scope out a little bit to see to include a lot more things. Here's how you spot religion. Religion always involves sacrifice. Look at Micah 6, uh, 6 through 7. What should I bring before the Lord when I come uh, to bow down before God on high? Should I come before him with burnt offerings? And notice how this increases with year-old calves. When the, would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousands of streams of oil? And I give my own children, he says. Should I give my own Firstborn of my, uh, for, the transgress- for my transgression, the offspring of my body for my own sin. Now, Israel's religion involved blood sacrifice. And God prescribed that as a means by which their sins would be forgiven, that they might know who he is, and would also look forward to the future, to the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. It was a foreshadow of the, of the coming of Christ. But, you know, it's interesting that most religions in the world involve some type of sacrifice. It's, it's fascinating. But here's the deal. Everybody makes sacrifices in life. Maybe you don't sacrifice animals uh, as a part of your religion, but everyone makes a sacrifice. Have you ever made a sacrifice for something that you wanted in life? All of us have. We, we do it all the time. Uh, I found a, uh, an article that was poking fun at religion. And the article, the title of the article was 10 Most Popular Religions in the United States. Number two on the list was pickleball. Has anybody ever played pickleball? It's like tennis, but you got like a wiffle ball, right? Now, I I, uh, went to visit some friends in Richmond, Virginia this past week, and and my my good buddy was telling me, he's like, man, these people are nuts for pickleball around here. I was like, what? That's, That's strange. Yeah, he said a friend of ours got, uh, got injured playing pickleball. So I looked, looked it up. They have, like, facilities, like multiple facilities where people come to play pickleball, right? That's just crazy to me. City people, right? Um, yeah, we don't do that here. Um, now, number eight on the list was kind of disrespectful. You guys want to hear about it? All right, you'll give me permission, so here you go. Uh, number eight was tiny dogs. Ten most popular religions was tiny dogs, like lap dogs, right? And here's what they said. Worshipped by millions of women and a few effeminate males, 
I didn't say it. Uh, tiny dog disciples neglect all human relations in favor of spending all their time, money, and social media presence uh, honoring a small canine. That is so mean, isn't it? Right? But that's what today's religions look like. The religions in our culture look more like pickleball and poodles. This is what we give our money, our time, and this is what we share with the world. Right? It's stuff like this. This is what religion looks like in our culture. We live in a culture of paganism, right? And paganism is just the worship of the stuff that God made. A lot of people love old-time religion. I have people come up to me, uh, talk to me all the time. They know I'm a pastor, and they say, you know, they, they say I'm looking for that old-time religion. A lot of times, this is a traditional Christian version of religion. Uh, old-time religious folks uh, think that, uh, that Christianity is all about keeping the rules, Right? It's all about being a good person. And a lot of times, these are the rules that they've made up for themselves, and they elevate those rules over and above the Bible. So they got their own rules, and they think this is what Christianity is about. Meanwhile, they disobey the Bible um, all the time. I remember one time this guy was uh, giving everybody a hard time for, for drinking, you know, uh, for having a drink. And you know the Bible does forbid drunkenness. It's very clear about that but it does not forbid having a drink, okay? Um, you know, Jesus' first miracle was taking some water and turning that into over 100 gallons of, uh, of wine, like good wine, right? And there's a difference. There's a difference between, like, winking out or whatever it is, uh, that you, and, and then, like, a really nice wine. Like, there's a, there's, a, there's a major difference. And Jesus made, like, the, the, the good stuff. Um, yeah, so uh, the religious argument, though, a lot of times is that, you know, when Jesus turned the water into wine, what he did was, like, it was, like, really watered down and stuff. It was, it was more like uh, uh, grape juice and the stuff that we have over here uh, at communion, right? Now, can you imagine that? Jesus, the Lord of history, the Messiah, the one that we've been, been waiting for, God in the flesh comes into the world. He takes uh, the water, and he turns it into odul's. Can you imagine that? That'd be, I'd be like, Jesus, I'm expecting a little bit, something a little bit better here. Um, anyway, I'll let you all think about that. Uh, religion is also destructive. Religion is destructive. Micah chapter 6, 9 through 12. The voice of the Lord calls out to the city, and it is wise to fear your name. Pay attention to the rod and the one who ordained it. Are there still the treasures of wickedness and the accursed short measure in the house of the wicked? Can I excuse the wicked scales? or bags of deceptive weights. For the wealthy of the city are full of violence, and its residents speak lies. The, tongue in their, the tongues in their mouths are deceitful. So, remember, the Lord is, is presenting his case against mankind here, against all of humanity. He's laying out the evidence uh, for the crimes, like uh, the game Clue. You guys ever play that game, Clue? Yeah, we, we play that as a family. I lose every time. Last time we played, my girls, like, they explained to me, like, their method for figuring out who done it, right? They got these algorithms, man. I, I have, I'm like, no wonder I lose. They got a whole, like, system for trying to figure out who the criminal is here. I lose every time. Micah lists specific instances in this passage of greed, dishonesty, violence, and lies, Right? And, and this, is, this, is, this is because religion is destructive. These are the types of things that it produces. 
There, there are things called the sins of commission and the sins of omission. Sins of commission are blatant, deliberate disobedience against God's commands. That's what, what that means. Here's why religion is destructive. Because there is a God who made all things and has told us what is right and wrong. That, that God is over here. He, he, he is the true God, speaks down from heaven, tells us what's right and wrong, and we know it. Religion over here says, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go my own way, come up with my own uh, rules for life. And it always re- results in hurting ourselves, dishonoring God, hurting other people. The things that Micah lists in this passage are things that God clearly forbids in the Scripture. Stealing, lying, violence. Martin Luther, uh, during the Protestant Reformation, he, he wrote this small little book uh, called The Small Catechism. Right? And he wrote that book for pastors out in, the, out in the countryside and these little churches and these little parishes that were trying to figure out, well, how do I help my people? So he wrote this little book uh, and, and gave it to these pastors to help them love and serve the families uh, and the church. And part of that is he, he walked through the Ten Commandments and explained, all right, this is what these commandments mean. Okay, So the Ten Commandments, one of those is uh, not to bear false testimony. So this is what he says it means. What does this mean? Well, we should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbors, betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation. But we ought to defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way. So the command to um, not bear false testimony is about certain things we should not do. There's a negative aspect to it, right? He, He lists them. Right? We should not uh, lie about people or tell lies in general. We should not betray people. We should not slander people. And we should not seek to harm the reputation of other people. But this command has within it certain things that we ought to do as well. Right? And when we fail to do what we ought to do, that's what's called a sin of omission. Commission is blatant disobedience. Omission is there's something I should do, but I fail to do it. And what does he say we ought to do here? He says we ought to defend our neighbor. We ought to speak up for them, take up for them. We ought to speak well of people as much as possible. And we, I like this right here. We ought to explain everything in the kindest way. And here's what that means. We ought to assume the best about people, not the worst. That is difficult to do, isn't it? We, we always want to, like, come up with a narrative about their motivations and why they did things and what they're trying to do. The Bible says that is very unloving to do. We ought to assume the best about people. To do otherwise than what God says here is our own thoughts, our own ideas, our own practices in life, not God's, and that's religion. And that is very destructive. If you've ever had somebody lie about you, betray you, slander you, not love you, not speak well about you, assume the worst about you, hurt you physically, abuse you, well, you know how destructive religion is. Religion is exhausting. That's next. Religion is exhausting. Micah chapter 6, 13 through 16. And remember, this is God speaking here. As a result, look at this. I have begun to strike you severely, bringing desolation because of your sins. You will eat and not be satisfied, for there will be hunger within you. What you do acquire, you cannot save. What you do save, I give to the sword. 
You will sow, you will not reap. You will press olives, you will not anoint yourself. You will tread grapes, but you will not drink the wine. The statutes of Omri, and these were kings of Israel. Their religion. The statutes of Omri and all the practices of Ahab's house have been observed, rather than what God says. You have followed their policies. Therefore, I will make you a desolate place. In the city's residence, an object of contempt, you will bear the scorn uh, of my people. Micah is saying here that the judgment of God has already begun to fall upon these people. That's what he said. And verse 13 says, I have begun to strike you severely. But what does that judgment look like? Here's what the judgment that Micah says is falling upon God's people. And the way that God deals with empty religion is if people want to go after empty things, he will let them feel empty. And that's his grace to lead us back to him. If we want to go after empty religion, God lets us feel empty. He lets our lives be empty. That's what he's saying here. He's allowing them to have what they wanted, and nothing they do will be enough to satisfy them. Can you relate? I think this is our culture as a whole. Our culture is just pursuing paganism and empty religion and pickleball and everything else, and we're just empty. We don't have any contentment. We're lost. We're confused. We're blind, and we don't know uh, what to do about it. There was a guy, his name was uh, St. Augustine probably one of the most influential Christians that, that ever lived. Uh, he was a pastor in North Africa in the 4th century. And his, his, his autobiography is called The Confessions. It is, it's, it's a beautiful book. I'm not saying you need to read it, but it's, it's amazing. But the whole thing is this beautiful prayer to God. And, but it's his biography about how he tried to fill his life and try to fill the emptiness of life with everything he could. He tried to fill it with friendship and sex and philosophy, and education, and popularity. And he, at the end, he found himself just empty and exhausted. But he started going to church. He had a wonderful pastor, a guy named Ambrose. And one day, Augustine uh, found himself, he's trying to figure all this out, this whole Jesus thing, and his, his life was just miserable, and everything was disappointing him. And he was hanging out uh, outside, and he heard some kids playing in the yard next door. And they had a wall. And he heard some kids playing over the wall, and they were playing this game, and the game, the kids were saying, take up and read, take up and read. And he's like, what kind of game is this? So he heard that as God telling him to take the Bible, open it up to wherever passage he came across, and that was the Word of God for him. Now, I'm not advising that as a method for studying the Bible, like you just flip it open, bam, um, you get yourself in some bad places by doing that. But anyway... It worked out good for Augustine. He came to Romans chapter 13, verse 13 to 14. And this is what he read. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh or sin to gratify its desires. And that was the moment that Augustine became a Christian. And he said that in that moment, he said, my sentence ended. His sentence of emptiness, his sentence of being a slave to empty religion and, 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 and sex and, and, and just wanting the praise of men and money and popularity and everything else, it was all over. He said uh, in that moment, 
light flooded into my soul. Right? That all, all the darkness and all that void in his heart, all of a sudden light shone into his soul through Jesus, through the scriptures. And, and why is that? Why did that happen like that? Why does that happen for every Christian? Here's why. Because true religion is good. Empty religion leads to destruction and exhaustion. True religion leads to things like Augustine experienced. Look at Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Here it is. Mankind. I think that includes all of us in this room. He has told each of you what is good. And what is it that the Lord requires of you? To act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, I want to put the brakes on for a second. Because the greatest mistake that we can make is to look at this passage and say, all right, I got to do it. Right? I, I got to do this. I got to act like this. I got I to be a better person. I got I to tighten up a little bit. Right? That is going back to the trap of empty religion. Right? Um, if we interpret the Bible in passages like this as primarily about the things that we got to do, that's going back to empty religion. Anybody into, uh, like, survival shows, anything like that? You guys like survival shows? Mel? Mel is. She's trying to survive. Yeah, we all are. Um, yeah, I like those shows, like, people living way out in Alaska, and they're just living off the land, and, you know, uh, a lot of times these guys are like trappers. Set these traps out, and the animal gets caught in it. That trap closes on. There's no way to kind of get out of it. This is humanity. We are stuck in the trap of religion, of trying to think that we got to do it, right? We got to fill the emptiness in our life. We got to somehow earn God's approval. We got to be better people. We got to try harder to be better Christians and all this and all that. Our hearts are constantly prone to wander back to empty religion, See, but we got to see this passage in its context. We've already saw it, right? That, that the book of Micah is this vision about the future and what God is going to do when he sends his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into That was the, all of chapter 4 or 5. That was, that's from the beginning of the Bible, right? That Christianity is primarily about what God has done for us in Jesus, not about what we do for him we got to see this, first and foremost, as, a, as about who God is and what God has done. See, these things, when it says that we're to act justly, that's who God is. God is just. That's who he is in his character. God is faithful. God is abounding in faithfulness and mercy and compassion and grace. These are things that God has done for us, first and foremost, before they are things that we do him. And I'll show you this. We've got a great example in our passage, Micah chapter 6, 3 through 5. My people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Testify against me. I like that. I like the confidence of God here saying, bring it on. Why don't you testify against me and you tell me how what I've done is a burden? How, how the religion that, 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 that I bring into the world causes weariness. Because I'll tell you what I've done for you. Here it is. I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the place of slavery. That's God's faithfulness. I sent Moses and Aaron and Miriam ahead of you. My people, remember what 
King Balak of Moab proposed and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. And what happened from the Acacia Grove to Gilgal, look at this, so that you may know, so that you may acknowledge the Lord's righteous acts. Right, the Lord says through Micah that, hey, listen, I didn't wear you out. I didn't cause you to be exhausted. You did that. You did that on your own by turning away from me. I'll tell you what I did. And he lays it out uh, for, for the people there. Here's what he, do, he, do, he does. He redeems us from slavery. He sets us free from empty religion. And uh, all these different places and people that he mentions here is basically this. From the time that he set them free in Egypt all the way to he brought them into the promised land, God did that. He carried them. He brought them. He was merciful to them despite all their rebellion, their idolatry, uh, their uh, disobedience to him. And why is this important? Why is this important to get this down first? Here's why. True religion, true Christianity starts with what God has done, not what we do. See, the Bible is about what's called the gospel. That word gospel means good news. And the gospel is not advice. It's not advice to you about a couple tricks for your life, a couple um, uh, little things that you need to do to change this and that. The gospel is that God sent his son into the world to suffer and die for us at the cross, to bleed and to rise from the dead three days later. God did that. Empty religion is about you and what you got to do. And this is what makes Christianity absolutely distinct amongst every ideology, every ism and schism and religion in the world is this. All those are about something you got to do. Christianity is about what God did. That's a big difference. And over here is freedom and satisfaction. In this passage, it says that, uh, in Micah 6 8, it says that um, we're supposed to act justly and love faithfulness. You know who embodies that more than anybody else in the whole Bible? Jesus. John. Jesus' disciple, John chapter 1, verse 16 through 17, is what it says. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, the commandments and stuff. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, Micah was written in Hebrew, okay? The book of John was written in Greek. The Hebrew word, faithfulness, and the Greek word grace are like the same word. So John is saying that in Jesus, we have the embodiment of God's faithfulness. You want to know what God's faithfulness looks like? It looks like the Son of God wrapping himself in human flesh and living a just life, a faithful life. He walked humbly with his God, and that walk with God led him down the bloody, dusty road to the cross where he bled and died for our sins to redeem us, to deliver us, to set us free from all of our empty ways, to, for the light to shed uh, abroad in our souls, to do the same thing that happened to Augustine. Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. That's what the words to love faithfulness in our passage, Micah chapter 6, verse 8, are getting at, to love faithfulness. Think about... Um, the jaws of life, right? Someone is in a, a horrible uh, accident. They're, they're trapped in, in the vehicle, um, and, and they're, they're suffering, and they're crying out for help. And first responders come with the jaws of life, and they rescue uh, that individual and save them uh, from their uh, situation. 
That's kind of like what God has done for us in Jesus. Although infinitely greater, our peril, our situation was far greater. Sin, enslavement to the devil, ultimately uh, emptiness for all of eternity without, without God. Jesus Christ came to save us from that. Listen, here's, here's how I lived my life before I was a Christian. I thought I was doing what was right. Can you relate? I thought God knew my heart. I was a pretty decent person. I had a good heart, although I was living a treacherous life, to be honest. I thought God knew my heart, and he did know my heart, and it was wicked. All right? We follow the crowd thinking, well, everyone else is doing this. It ought to be uh, the right uh, thing. And we become enslaved to all kinds of lust, all kinds of sin. We find ourselves worn out and empty, and we need redemption from sin. That's God's faithfulness. We need to be delivered, and this is what God has done for us in Jesus. This is what the word faithfulness means. If we're going to do it, we have to know what it means first. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. He, God, has rescued us. There it is. He's rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son in whom he was. That's what happened to Augustine. Augustine was in the darkness, right? And God said, all right, I'm going to bring you over here and put you in the kingdom of my son whom I love, in whom we have redemption, in whom we have freedom, rescue, deliverance, the forgiveness of sins. That's what it means to be redeemed, be forgiven, to be set free. See, Jesus died and rose to rescue us from all of our empty religion, and that's true religion. True religion is what Jesus has done for us. And it is good. It is good. If we've experienced that, if we've experienced what uh, the grace of God in Christ and his faithfulness, we want everyone to know about it. We want everyone to know about that, and we want to demonstrate to them the same type of faithfulness that we have been shown in Jesus so what God is saying here, go back to Micah chapter 6, verse 8 real quick. What God is saying to us here is he's inviting us to do what he does. This is what God has done for us. God has demonstrated his faithfulness to his promises to us in Christ, and he delivered us from our sins, and he's saying, okay, I want you to show someone else that type of love. I want you to show them that type of faithfulness. He is just, he is faithful, and we ought to be the same way. And what God has done for us and what he asked of us is good. Let me tell you, following Jesus is better than all the empty promises of this world. All this wor The world is making you promises all the time. Hey, if you do this, it's going to be good. You try this, it's going to be good. Hey, go this way. This way is good. This is saying, look here. Look at these words. Mankind, he has told each of you what is good. It is better to follow Christ. It is better to obey all the words of Scripture than obey all the words of man, to listen to all the words of man. I was in a, when I was in Richmond this past week, I went to a banquet for a, a seminary, a school that trains uh, pastors and leaders um, that my, my church there that we were a part of that sent us here, sent me back home. I helped start a seminary called Grimke Seminary. I went to this banquet, and they served steak, right? And uh, I love a good steak, and uh, it was good. 
It was juicy, it was meaty, and it, 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 it hit the spot, right? Micah chapter 6 is saying all that God has done for us and what he wants of us is good like a big juicy steak, right? You sink your teeth into it, right? It, it, it is not uh, something nasty, right, uh, or anything like that. It is good. And, and what does he ask us to do? To act justly. See that? He wants you to do, do um, justice, right? Uh, so I, I work here uh, in the county uh, as a case manager, and I tell people every week, this is what I tell them, it's always right to do right. It's always time to do what's right because they're thinking, well, I screwed up or I've got some consequence coming to me. Maybe I'm going to get locked up or whatever. Well, here's the deal. Even if you do get locked up, it's always right to do right. It's time to start. When you're going to start, you kick the can down the road. You know what I mean? But it's always time uh, to do what is right. You know, sometimes folks come to be a part of a church or they come up in a church with their own ideas and what they want to do, right? And you know what? Often it's not what is needed. It's not uh, what is helpful. To act justly is to, to be a part of a church, right, to be a Christian and to try to think and pray and ask, hey, what is the need here, and how can I serve? That's what it looks like, right? To, to, to be a Christian, to be a part of a church, and say, okay, what's the need here? I know i got some things that I like to do that I'm interested in, but what does the church actually need, and how can I uh, meet that need? And doing it, even if you don't like it. There's a lot of things that Jesus asks us to do that aren't fun, but you know what? They're important. And they're, they're needed. Uh, someone sent me a, pa- uh, si- a picture of a sign uh, recently. I believe it's out at the, it's out at the ball fields uh, here in Morgan County. And the sign says this, before you complain, have you volunteered? Have you? Before you complain about something, have you picked up a broom or took the trash out, right, or cleaned the toilet? Or, or, or something, I don't know, brought, brought a bottle of soda, a bag of chips. All right, one of the, one of the main volunteer uh, needs that we have as a church, and, man, I hope it just, I hope it just keeps growing and it's just, it's just spreading everywhere and it's making us all uncomfortable, is, is, is child care, right, is, is child care, both on Sundays and in our community groups. You know what? Justice is care for the most vulnerable amongst us. Is there anybody uh, more vulnerable and more needy than, than the kids? Right? And see, we, we, our culture says that, that kids are a burden. In the church, we ought not think that way. Kids are a blessing, right? And we ought to love and care for them and have lots more of them and, and stuff like that and, and just love and serve the kids because right? they are a tremendous blessing. You know what? We ought to do that without complaining. We ought to do it without complaining, and um, we ought to speak about them way, in ways that would dignify them as image bearers of God. Not like a burden or in the way or distraction or, you know, something I don't want to do or anything like that. I'm just laying in the plane a little bit. That's all. Uh, Proverbs chapter 21 verse 15. Look at this. Justice executed is a joy. Remember, the things that God asked us to do are good. It's a joy to do what is right, to do what is needed. Not only is it good to do justice, but it is good to love faithfulness. Go back to Micah chapter 6, verse 8. It is good. He's told each of us what is good. 
to love faithfulness. Now, I want you to notice these words carefully here. It is to love faithfulness. Emphasis on the word love. You see that? God wants us to love it. That's an, that's an interior thing. That's something you do with your, with your lover deep down within. With, with your heart and your soul, you love faithfulness. And remember, we said that faithfulness is the way the Bible talks about God sending Jesus Christ into the world to rescue us from our sin through his death on the cross. So we ought to love that. We ought to love that and spread that type of love, especially to the folks up in this room. That's what it looks like to love faithfulness. I understand that Jesus loved me in that type of way, and I ought to love the folks uh, in this room. We ought to show real love to one another. I mean, isn't that like one of the greatest commands? Jesus said, all right, let me sum up what the Bible says you ought to do. Love God, love the folks up in that room. We ought, here's what that looks like. We ought to know uh, how each other's doing. That's what real love looks like. It's just like having a genuine concern about Hugh. How, how is he doing, right? I ask him after the service, go up to him and find out how he's doing, right? How's Hugh doing, right? How can we be praying for one another specifically? I, I ask people that, man. Like, well, how can I be praying for you, man? And that's a great way to get to know folks because they'll tell you what they got going on in their life. Uh, we got to know people uh, beyond the surface level. Like, yeah, it's been raining this weekend. Yep. West Virginia won. Well, that's good. Like, we got to like, really know uh, each other as real human beings. We got to know each other's stories. Where we come from, struggles in life, families. We ought to be interested in, in how the Lord has been faithful to people. Like, how did, how did he redeem them? Like, Augustine's story is fascinating, you know, but so are your stories. And when I hear your stories, you know what? I hear about God's faithfulness, right? I hear about what he's done in your life, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, we ought to know how each other is doing in our walk with Jesus Christ. Like, like are, we, are we doing well? Are we struggling? You know, we ought to be concerned, like, when someone is trapped in sin, isn't that love to, like, want to help them? If, like, they're, they're caught in a bear trap, I mean, shouldn't we, like, go and, like, try to intervene somehow and pry it open for them to help them uh, get out of it? Or someone just strays off into the wilderness of life from the church. They ought to receive at least one phone call from somebody, don't you think? Like, are you all right, man? What's going on? I mean, they, who knows what's going on in their life, you know? But that's just what it looks like to... Um, Love faithfulness. I mean, isn't that the way Jesus loves us? Does he let us just run off and he's like, see y'all in a couple months? No, we just prayed it. We, we, we just sung it. Lord, I, my heart is prone to wander, pray, prone to stray. I thank God that he, come, he comes after us. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 puts it like this. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all. Look at this. Especially for those who belong the household of faith. See that? We ought to take every opportunity to love the people of our church. Of course, we're supposed to love everyone out in the world, on our job and in the community and this and that. But listen, if you can't love Christians, you're going to have a hard time loving those who aren't. This is practice, right? We're going out into, into the world and, and, and loving folks who uh, aren't Christians. 
And all of this is the result of walking with God. Go back to Micah 6.8. Look at this, the very end. And to walk humbly uh, with your God. You know, it's good to walk with God. I, there's, listen, if you were to ask me, hey, Ricky, what's the best thing in the world? What's the best thing you've ever done? What, 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 what is it? It is walking with God. There is nothing better. There is nothing more exciting, joyful, soul-satisfying, to the core, peaceful, tasteful. The Bible says taste and see that the Lord is good. There's nothing better than walking with God. There's nothing better than walking, uh, walking uh, with Jesus. God is good. He's good all the time. Everything that God does is good. Everything that God says is good. You know, you walk every day, don't you? Walking is one of the main things uh, that we do. And when we walk with somebody, we got a relationship with them, right? We're, we're, we're friends with them. You know, we share things in common. We talk with them when we walk. We, uh, we have a relationship um, um, with them, and that's what this is talking about, right? Do you know the amazing thing is that you can have a relationship with the real God? That's true religion. True religion is not made up and make-believe man's ideas about spirituality and God and all this stuff over here. Over here is true religion says you can actually have a relationship with the living God. And that's why Jesus Christ came into the world. You know what else is cool here? Same thing, but to walk humbly with your God. You see that? Can you say here this morning that he is your God? That Jesus Christ is your Savior, your Redeemer, your God? Uh, J.C. Ryle, he was, a, he was an Anglican bishop in the 1800s, and um, in his commentary on the book of Mark, he says, it's one thing to say that Christ is a Savior, it's quite another to say he is my Savior and my Lord. The devil can say the first. Yeah, the devil can say that uh, Jesus is real, he's the Messiah, he's a Savior, you know, but here's the difference. True Christian alone can say the second, my Savior, my Lord, my Redeemer, True Christians can lay claim upon God as their God. Right? What a, be- what a beautiful thing. And-, and we walk with him daily. That's amazing. We get to walk with God every day of our lives. And he invites us into what he's doing in the world, to do justice, to love faithfulness. We walk with him because we love him. That's why we do it. Right? And we love all that he's done. We love all that God asks us to do and all that he requires of us because of this. Because he is good. It is good to walk with God and to follow him. And that's what we want to respond to now.